Well, it's, of course, Valentine's Day, uh, a time in which many, understandably, are expressing uh, their affection for their sweethearts, and, you know, that, that's fine, that's good, and sometimes I would even make the case necessary. Um, I would even go so far as to say also that, that perhaps just by my raising that, by my infusing that question into this forum, you may be prompted with a question. And it might be something like this. Does the Bible, does the Bible even have anything to say about uh, romance and attraction and feelings of affection between a man and a woman? Does the Bible, I mean, is that really legitimate for us to even be talking about that? Uh, is that a safe place uh, for us to be going here this morning? And I would say absolutely, positively, emphatically, yes. Yes, the Bible is exactly uh, where we need to be going this morning to talk about, especially when you consider all of the um, confusion on the topic in our culture, in our, in our day, when it comes to all things love and affection uh, and attraction. And by the way, all the pain and the carnage that can so often and so easily come as a consequence of that confusion. I would say it's all the more the reason to go to the Scriptures, to God's own Word, uh, to, to think and think clearly perhaps about this, this issue. So, Song of Solomon, that's where we're heading uh, here for a few minutes together this morning. And if you're trying to find that, that is, uh, I would just say, look, open up the, your, your Bible to the Psalms, that's the heart of the Bible itself, right there in the middle, and, and then you head to the right, uh, head to the right, and you, you'll stumble upon it, I promise you. Uh, the Psalms, and then the Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes, and then the Song of Solomon. If you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, I, I once said to somebody tongue-in-cheek, and unfortunately they took me literally, and then I had to recant, um, that, that I think part of the reason that you see the order of the canon in the Old Testament, this is completely sarcastic, that's just not true at all. But, but it, I, my thought was is that maybe, the, you know, so we're reading through Proverbs, and ah, wisdom, and then you hit Ecclesiastes, you're like, whoa. And you're just feeling undone, and then you're patched back together by Song of Solomon. So, uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 17. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 17. And I'll just be honest, in particular, most especially verse 15. But I do want to read the whole part of this poem within the larger song. Uh, so chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 8. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the cliffs of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, 
the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Well, would you pray with me? Ah, Father, we ask that you would speak, and we ask that you would give us ears with which to hear. Uh, wherever we are this morning, uh, with whatever our preconceptions are of what the, the Bible has to say about romantic love and affection and attraction, um, wherever we are in, in, that sta- in, in the stage of our lives, in this part of the story of its unfolding, uh, whether uh, we are married or not, Uh, We ask that you would help us here, for we all have much to listen. You have made us, even if we could just think in this way, we are are part of a community endeavor. And so whether we are married ourselves or not, we have a stake in this, in the flourishing of marriages, Uh, in this church, in the larger church, and in this community. So for all of us, we ask that you would help us to hear. Young, old, male, female, married, single, whatever. Whatever. And uh, we thank you. We thank you that you do speak to all of life. The Scriptures have relevancy and applicability to every aspect of our being. And we see it again, again, right here, right here in this book. We ask for your blessing upon these few minutes. Again, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. Well, let me say from the outset, make very, very clear the right way to understand the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, as it is sometimes referred to. This is a love song. This is a a love song with rich, vivid, vibrant imagery portraying and picturing all the beauty and the passion and the wonder and the mystery and joy of the love, the bond between a man and a woman. That's what the Song of Solomon is about. Uh, that's the book. Okay, That's the, the way you need to understand that as you're, as you're opening it up and, and perusing its pages. Now, the text, this particular text that we just read from a few moments ago, and in particular verse 15 that I tried to draw your attention to. What do we need to understand about that? And the specific imagery that, that's there before we really begin to unpack that. The vineyard. What on earth What on earth is that about? Well, it depends actually on where you look within the Song of Solomon. You see that, that image used in several different places. In some places, the vineyard is clearly a reference to the woman's body. No question about it. In other places... The image of a vineyard is clearly a, a, a place. It's a vineyard, uh, you know, where vines are growing. And in, in those contexts, it seems to be a, a, a rendezvous site, a hidden place for the man and the woman to, to meet. But then there are other places, and this would seem to be in that case, where it's actually the vineyard is a description, it's an image, a poetic image of their relationship itself. That's what the vineyard is here in Song of Solomon chapter 2. Now, what would that imply? 
What would, it, what would be the significance of saying that in this case, in, the, in this case, in this context, the vineyard is actually an illusion, symbolic, an image of their relationship? Well, let's think about this just for a, a moment. Um, in, in the ancient world, and actually in that part of the world, and really still in other places as well, to, to, to make a vineyard oftentimes entailed a, a stepped hillside, a lot of work going into it, with retaining walls and stones put up in there, of, of all the effort and work to, to build naturally growing hedges around that vineyard, and, and a watchtower built there as well. The, the, the point being that the image, certainly in that time and in that part of the world, the image of, of, of a vineyard would immediately have connoted a lot of care and work going into the preparation of that place. But not just that, not just care in terms of the preparation, but care taken regarding its protection. Because you see, there are creatures about that want to invade the vineyard and tear it asunder. Foxes in particular. Foxes are, are crafty. Uh, we just have that, it's, it's a reason that we think in terms of, of and they're clever in, in terms of those ways. Foxes like the taste of the buds. Now that's a problem. Because if they devour the buds, then there will be no flowers. And if they devour the flowers, then there will be no grapes. And if, they, if, they, if they're in the grapes are gone, you have no wine, and now your vineyard is not flourishing. So the foxes, as a consequence, you understand, need to be, as I said, need to be caught. They need to be grabbed hold of. They need to be seized. And they need to be disposed of. That's what you have here with the imagery. Or put it another way, we're being called to go on a fox hunt. When it comes to the vineyard, we're being called to hunt the foxes, to discern the, the value and the worth and the preciousness and the potential of the flourishing of, the, of this vineyard. And to recognize therein, as a consequence of that, the, the need to then be on the, our guard against the foxes and the impact that they could have on the flourishing of the garden. Now again, as, as I've alluded to already, this is something, this message, this text is really for all of us here in the room. And it doesn't matter in that sense what your marital status is. Now obviously if you're married, you really need to be tuning your ears to this text and, and what this is saying, obviously. But let me just say again, even if you're not married, brothers, sisters, does this not show you how to pray? for the marriages around you. And even if you're, you have yet to be married and have aspirations of being married, I would say, does this not show you how to be preparing for that? How to, how to be aware of, of what is going to be involved with that before, if in fact the Lord leads you into that state. So again, I would just emphasize, this is for all of us. This really is for, for every one of us here in this room. Marriage the vineyard, the marriage relationship, the vineyard is a gift of God. Therefore, we've got to be willing to catch the foxes. We've got to be willing, driven, passionate about guarding against anything that would do it harm. So, let's look at this in turn. Three points. First, we need to prize this gift as, as what it is. To see it for what it is, to prize it for what it is, recognize its potential, recognize the worth, of the possibility, the potential of its flourishing therein so that we will then want to Guard it. Let me put it this way. Uh, 
in the big picture, seeing what marriage, God's intention is. Okay, just, just generally speaking, what does he have in mind for just marriage in, in general? What is his purpose and intent for all of us if we're, we're married? Partly, it is at least this, our holiness. That is part of his design, to make us more like Jesus, to make us more like his son, to make us to conform, to, to be more like we're supposed to have been from the, the start, to restore us to our humanness, to sanctify us, if I can use that that word. How does that happen in the context of a marriage relationship? Well, you know, you share life closely, long enough with another person, it's going to expose your sin. It's going to make you look at it. Which therein also makes evident your need for the gospel all the more. Now that's not fun. That's hard. It hurts. At times it makes you want to shut down or take off. Which is why we have vows. Seriously. It's why we have the vows. So part of it's our holiness. To make us more like Christ. But I would be disingenuous. I'd be, it'd be wrong. In fact, it really would not be true to the Scriptures if I didn't follow that up by saying also that part of God's purpose for marriage is our happiness. I mean, it's what the Proverbs say. It's what Ecclesiastes says. It's what Song of Solomon says. The wisdom literature of the Bible points us in that direction. It's, it's both. It's not one or the other, one before or after the other. It's really both, somehow at the same, same time. So our holiness, our, our happiness, I mean, you know, you read in Genesis, before the fall, 1 and 2, Genesis 2, God says before He brings Eve into the picture, giving her to Adam, things are not good. We are made in the image, in the likeness of a relational God. Therein we are hardwired for relationship. All of us, and those of us who are married, especially in the context of the marital bonds, that's what he has in mind, that, that sense of wholeness, holiness and happiness. This is a risk. It's an analogy, as an illustration. A movie a few years ago, ten years ago or so maybe, Jerry Maguire, I don't recommend it to all of you. There's a scene or two. But there's a great line, a great line in that. You may remember this. Jerry comes to his senses. He realizes what he's on the throes of, of losing with his wife. He comes back. He says to her, what? You remember the line? You complete me. Now, that's actually, there's a lot of truth in that. If you take it, if you qualify it in understanding that in the ultimate sense, it's only going to be in, in relationship with the true and living God that we are going to find completion in the ultimate sense. But at, as a subset of that, he means for us in the context of marriage to have that sense of in a horizontal plane of completion, holiness, and happiness with one another in the marital bonds. You can, there's something to that. Okay, so prizing the gift. You see the potential here? Partly, at least in general, what, and when you think in terms of what marriage is for, but then also uh, the spouse, the specific spouse, God's intentions may be there in whom he has matched us up with. So turn with me to chapter 8. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Um, listen, listen to what is being said here. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. 
The marriage bond is intended to be an intimate, permanent, and exclusive relationship. There is such a thing as holy jealousy. A holy jealousy that gives no quarter to intruders into that marital bond. And you see it reflected here. This is an idyllic description of what ought to be. Behind that kind of jealousy is the Lord's jealousy. He's, in a sense, giving that to the heart of the woman here. And it's rightly expressed because, of course, He gives us, in in marriage, one to another with specific things in mind. Hardwired, tailored, crafted, with intentionality. This person's holiness and happiness, this person's holiness and and happiness, all the way. Again, the, the vineyard ought to be guarded. Jealously, zealously. So, because it is threatened, because there are foxes running amok, trying to get in. And I would say at this point, there are two foxes that we need to be aware of. And, well, I guess it's really one. Our flawed assumptions and expectations about what marriage is for. That's a fox that has to be caught and disposed of. Our flawed expectations and understandings and assumptions about what marriage is for. We, let's be honest, how many of us who are married really do go through the day with an awareness that one of God's primary purposes for that marital relationship is our holiness? That we would become more like Jesus. And that's part of why He's brought us together with that person. Are we really, I mean, honestly, that's not even on our radar. That's a fox. Or, if I can push this further, if we, if the, when the subject of happiness and fulfillment is brought up, immediately we go here to self-fulfillment, to what's in it for me, to how I can be happy and satisfied, and how I ought to be and deserve to be, and we really give no thought whatsoever as to how really that fulfillment is found in the pouring out of ourselves into the completion of another person, and sacrificially so. To to, to fail to grapple with that, to fail to have assumptions and expectations going into marriage and, and daily if we are married, that's a fox that has to be caught and disposed of. Because this vineyard is a beautiful, valuable, precious thing and it needs to be guarded. Okay, that's the first point. The second one being this, that, okay, now having captured something of the need to prize it, we then need to be be pursuing it. Pursuing it with with intentionality and and focus and energy and heart. So turn back with me from chapter 8 to chapter 5 where I think we're going to see something else here that's worth noting. Chapter 5, verses 2 through 8. Now, again, this is poetic imagery, so don't try and read it, you know, literally in the sense of, you know, think, but it's also part, it seems to be a dream sequence also within the context of this song, within this poetic expression. So chapter 5, verses 2 through 8. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love. My dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I put off my garment 
How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. I rose to open to my beloved and my hands drip with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. I'll just stop there. What's going on here is this, the danger, the fox, of taking our marriage and our spouses for granted. That's what's going on here. And that's another fox that needs to be hunted down. In the context of the marriage, what is it for? God's intentionality. You see that again, Genesis, leaving, cleaving, becoming one flesh. Is that what we experience, those of us who are married? Is that what we experience all the time, through the day, every day? No. No. Because the mundane sets in, the routine sets in. We get apathetic, we get bored with everything, including marriage. And so that's something of what we see going on here, it would seem, and the dangers that are being pointed out to us. Let me, let me just kind of sketch what's happening here. The man initiates, he comes towards the woman. He initiates, he woos her, he speaks of his love and affection and endearment towards her. He's taking this initiative, he's laying himself out, making himself vulnerable, and she, for whatever reason, spurns him. And so he turns, and he's gone. Now, she apparently soon thereafter realizes what she's done and, 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 and regrets that. But again, here's the point. The fox that needs to be looked out for here, the fox that, of which we need to be on our guard against is the routine, the, apathetic, and the apathy, and taking for granted marriage and our spouses. Let me just speak frankly here. Um... As a dangerous consequence of withdrawing one from, one from another for whatever reason can set you up for an affair. And by that, I don't just mean an affair with another person. I just mean an affair with, with a thing or a person. Affairs don't have to just be with another person. It could be with an activity, an involvement, some passion that we are giving ourselves to beyond, besides what we should be. Um, Oswald Chambers, great, great, great quote from him here. Human nature, if it's healthy, demands excitement. And if it does not obtain its thrilling excitement in the right way, it will seek it in the wrong. God never makes bloodless stoics. He makes passionate saints. We're made, if you will, to pursue, all of us, for, for adventure, something more, for, for this striving. Here's my question. Where are you seeking it? And those of us who are married... Where are you seeking that? With whom and, and with what? And where are you pressuring and pushing your spouse to seek it? Understand? Work. What might be the, the things that might interfere here? Work. Children. Service in the community. Service in our church. Hobbies. Sports. All good things, all fine things. But where has life gotten out of kilter? Where are things out of balance? Where are we saying to our spouse, I'm sorry, you're not as important to me as that. And where are we forcing them to conclude, I guess I'm not as important to them as that. 
or just, again, summing it up, pulling it together, where are we taking marriage and the person to whom we are married for granted? And again, speaking plainly, if we're not careful, we do live east of Eden, people. If we're not careful, that metaphorical affair might turn into a real one. And that's one of the dangers that's being pointed out to here in this song. That withdrawal and what can happen. This is a gift. This vineyard, this marriage bond is a gift. It's got to be guarded, valued, treasured as such. Okay, so we're prizing it. We're pursuing it. Lastly, practicing patience towards it. Just real quickly here, a couple things. Um, Patience towards the marriage itself, uh, the relationship itself, just recognizing what, uh, not, not having, can I just put it this way, not having this idyllic view of perfection. Uh, you just see that implied with chapter 5, the struggle therein, what we just read from a few minutes ago. Francis Schaeffer, years ago, in one of his letters, put it this way. Two things must be said simultaneously. First, we must not accept what is poor. Second, however... If we will only accept what is perfect or else nothing at all, we will always get the nothing in this fallen and abnormal world. This is true in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our churches, and in everything else. Keeping this balance is one of the most difficult things in the Christian's life, but we must look to the Lord to keep the balance. My point being this, we should not be surprised when we hit trouble, when we hit the rocks. We should not be surprised, I'll just put it this way, Yes, lovers do love, sinners do sin. It's the way it is. That's the way marriage is. Yes, lovers do love, but sinners do sin. We've got to reckon with that and be patient regarding that. But, but there's also, it's not just sin. There's also just differences. The way we're wired, the who we are. Some years ago, uh, John Gray, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Remember, remember that? Was back like, I don't know, 15 years or, or so ago. John Gray, the man was heralded as though he was a prophet. It was a best-selling book. And I could, I still don't quite, even back then, I didn't know anything. I don't hardly know anything now. But Sarah and I had hardly been married any time, even at that point. But even at that point, a neophyte as I was of marriage, I'm thinking, it's not like the guy created the cure for the common cold. It's not like he's discovered the secret of nuclear fusion. What's going on here? Don't we all know that we're different? Don't we know that? Doesn't that? Don't we have any sense when it comes to our expectations regarding how we were? I don't know. Do we? I don't know. I wonder. I wonder about myself sometimes too. I mean, you know, the how we approach communication. What does that really look like? Or, or, or what does it really mean to be romantic? Or what the needs of self of, of being affirmed or, or, or worth or value or how time ought to be spent. I mean, just all the different ways we see things and interpret things. And, and, and sometimes um, we, we, we say that these are real and present, not just differences, but dangers. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. The Lord made us different for a reason. Sort of like with a, like a conductor of an orchestra and how, you know, sometimes, if it's done right, when we have different instruments together, that's harmony, right? Right, Amy? Harmony? Yeah. And, and, and not just, you know, unison is, can be good, but harmony is a, oh my goodness, when you got that right, and that's what, that's what the Lord has in mind for our, 
our differences. So how does this come out in the Song of Solomon, you're asking? Well, where is he going with this? Well, it actually does come out all over the place. It, it's, it's soaked through. It's, it's part of the, 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 the undercurrent. And how the man communicates you, if you have, if you go back and read it this afternoon or this week, I encourage you, go back and read it and look at how differently the man speaks and the woman speaks. Even in the Song of Solomon, it's true. In the, in the study notes, I'm going to cheat here, okay? The study notes for the ESV study Bible actually points this out in a very helpful way. Just read a little bit of it to you. The lovers speak in different ways, reflecting the difference between how a man and woman experience being in love. The man's speech focuses entirely on the woman. He does not address anyone else in the Song of Solomon. He frequently addresses the woman directly, praising her admirable qualities. And though he does occasionally speak about himself, readers learn only how fully his thoughts about the woman have taken over his imagination. The woman is not nearly as exclusive in her speech, addressing the daughters of Jerusalem as well as the man. And it goes on from there. And the point being, these differences are real and they're good. They're good. They're according to God's design, which again points to our need for patience and preparedness, whether we're married or moving in that direction already. Um, I'm just taking a step back and thinking about this in terms of as, as a fox and something to be guarded against and be aware of. You know, when impatience and unpreparedness is a fox. It has to be grabbed, seized, and disposed of. Um, it, it's a, there's a parallel here, I think, in terms of how Satan works in our minds with our struggles of faith and struggles in marriage. If, if a young Christian can find themselves hitting the rocks, thinking to themselves, oh, you know, the flame of my art, the ardor of my faith and the passion of, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm just completely sold out and my heart is aflame and, and I want to do nothing but get up in the morning and read my Bible and pray and share this. And then time goes by and you begin to have doubts, you begin to wonder, you begin to question. And then the real doubts start and you start thinking, well, that's not supposed to be like that. If I was really a Christian, this would never, gosh, maybe this isn't even real. Maybe I've made a mistake. And there's a parallel over here to marriage. Because you hit the rocks and you have you go through tough times and you think, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. If, if this was really real, if we really loved one another, if marriage was really what it was cracked up to be, then I, we wouldn't be going, well, gosh, maybe this was a mistake. You see how this is a fox? You see how this is a setup? You see how much of a damnable lie it is? on both counts, that it's got to be seized and done away with. Traditional fox hunt. That's the picture that you've got there on the screen. Um, you probably know what's involved there. You can just imagine even if, I've never seen one, but you can just imagine, right? If you've seen enough episodes of Downton Abbey, you, you know, right? I mean, uh, it involves the, the tracking and the chasing and sometimes even the killing by these, uh, these foxhounds. And uh, you, you may know, not surprisingly, that though this has a rich, rich heritage going all the way back to the 16th century, uh, there's a bit of a controversy in the United Kingdom about the traditional fox hunt. 2002, uh, Scotland banned it. England and Wales, 2004, banned it. It's a controversy. Two sides. 
arguing about this still today, whether or not they should reinstate it in those places. One side says it's cruel and unnecessary. The other side says, but it's a rich part of rural culture, and, and it's, it's necessary for pest control and conservation. I don't know. I don't, and I don't know what side of that you, you're, you're sympathetic towards, but I'll tell you this. The foxes being described here in Song of Solomon are not cute and fuzzy and cuddly and pets. They are pests. They are a plague. They are enemies. And they need to be destroyed. They need to be hunted down and done away with. Now how do we do that? Know these two things. Close it up now. Know these two things. You're not alone. You're not alone. I mean that in two ways. First of all, we have each other. You have the person closest to you in the context of this vineyard. You have a shared mutual interest with your spouse to, to, to guard and to cultivate and to prize that beautiful vineyard. We also have the larger church body that God has given to us to, to lean on, to seek out encouragement uh, and, and courage and guidance and counsel. We're not alone. But there's one more thing. There's the Lord of the vineyards Himself. And however much or to whatever degree we do or do not, prize and are pursuing the cultivation and flourishing of our vineyards, He does. And He wants to see those foxes taken out. Because you understand ultimately these are His vineyards. These are His vineyards. And we can appeal to Him that they would flourish. Oh, I pray that that would for all of us here this morning, that that would convict us of our passivity, but also encourage us in our anxiety regarding our marriages. And I say that our, in the sense of collective, all of us, all of us in this body, our marriages here together. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us see all of us, this vineyard, these vineyards, as things to be prized, as flourishing to be pursued. Oh, we ask you to help us to be aware and be aware of the foxes and the dangers that they pose, the threats that they really are, however innocuous and innocent they may seem. We ask that you give us wisdom and discernment, zeal and commitment in this. All of us here, whether married or not, to share in this endeavor. All of us be supporting one another in prayer and encouragement. And especially those of us who are married, to have eyes to see the way in which you would have us to see. And to go about the hunting of the foxes as we should. In your name we pray. Amen.